good morning, Journey. You know, December is here, ready or not, it's upon us. And December is the one month of the year where all of us try to be type A overachievers. Isn't that right? Because in this month, we try to write a card to everybody that we've ever met, whether we like them or not. And just to make it personal, we like to add a little note to it as well and mail it out. But also in December, we go about this process of completely redecorating our home. We, we move furniture around so that we can put a tree in the middle of our living room. Then we bust out all of the totes, decorate the whole tree, and, and set up Christmas decorations all around the home. But then beyond that, we also go out and try to find the perfect gift for everybody, for all of those that we love and even kind of like. And then for some of you, you try to bake every cookie and cake and goodie known to humanity and have it all done by the 24th of the month so that you can overeat during that time. Now, to make it even more interesting, we let the kids out of school and throw that into the mix, right? December is a crazy month. And because of that craziness, uh, we often miss out on worship. Because we get so busy, we miss out on what the Christmas season is all about. It points us to Jesus, but this is the one month that we're so focused on all the other stuff that it can have the reverse effect on us. And we lose sight of worship because we get busy. But that's not the only reason that we can lose sight of worship. Sometimes we just literally don't know how. No one's ever really showed us how to worship, and, and not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year, you know, no one has taken the time to provide that missing ingredient in our life, of a lifestyle of worship. So, for example, if you picture your life as a large map, and, and the you are here arrow where you stand now is this crazy, busy cycle of life that you're in. Not just the month of December, but just the craziness of, of our existence, the schedules that we live. And, and over there on the map, the destination is that place of worship. And we know that over there, it's all the stuff that we sing about in our Christmas carols. It's about joy, it's about hope, it's about peace. But no one has ever showed us how to get from here over to here. How to dwell in, the, in that place of the Christmas season year-round. Well, this morning we want to look at some of the some men from Scripture that show us how to move from here to there. They're the, some of the first worshipers of Jesus at that first Christmas. And they're going to show us how we can live a lifestyle of worship because they knew how to find Jesus and how to find worship. Well, we're in our second week of sermon series going through the series called The Coming King as we prepare our hearts and minds for Jesus. Not, not, and not just this month of uh, Christmas focus in December, but year-round. So today we want to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you today or your app, open up to Matthew 2, and we want to look at these first worshipers of Jesus. So beginning in verse 1 from Matthew 2, we read, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So this morning, I want to let these wise men guide us on our own journey of worship, a journey that leads us closer to worship Jesus as our Savior. So this is kind of a a how-to worship according to the Magi. Worship according to the Magi. They, they teach us five things that we want to look at today and, and how we can not only worship Jesus now, but every day of our lives. Well, first it starts with a sincere desire. Right away, this text just begins in verse 1. It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Well, who were these guys? Well, looking at a map, if we know they came from the east, they're most likely from countries like Persia, or Babylon, maybe Arabia. Scholars say that these magi would would have been highly educated men who moved really amongst the highest levels of society. They had expertise in science, in astronomy, in religion. They were priests of their days. So that knowledge gave them power. The Tyndale Bible Dictionary mentions that as priests, they would be responsible for all the ritual life, their cultic worship life, and they would have served as royal advisors to the king. So when they saw a star, they would have been very interested in that. And they would have been very interested that a new king was on the scene. So they had heard that the special king was coming, so they make this journey of months to go find it. It would have been a long journey. It would have been an expensive journey. But this was more than just an intellectual curiosity for these guys. They were hungry to see a new king. They desired to see him. So one part of our worship is that sense of desire. I mean, think about desires for a minute. We can have a a physical desire, a physical need, and when you have that, you, you satisfy that in a physical way. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I crave Fritos, I go buy Fritos and eat Fritos. You know, easily satisfied the physical needs. But on a deeper level, what about our spiritual needs? How do you satisfy those? Well, obviously, we have to fulfill them in spiritual ways. 
But how do we even know that we're spiritually hungry inside? How do we even know that we have that kind of need? Well, for some, you can feel an emptiness inside, a void that, you know, that you've tried to fill physically, but it's still there, it still gnaws away at you. And you realize that, no, this is more than just something surface level. Sometimes you can feel disconnected and separate and you just feel a need for community. You feel a need for relationship at a deeper, deeper level. Sometimes you just feel the need for, for significance, the need for purpose, the need for hope. And you realize that everything that you're doing in life, all the stuff you're striving for, isn't filling those needs. But you know what? So often we try to fill those needs in physical ways. So what do we do when we attempt that? Well, we shop more. We eat more. We binge watch TV shows and movies more. And we work more. All of those really are just kind of avoiding the the deeper issues. They're temporary fixes. And and when you try to fulfill physical, or when you try to fulfill spiritual needs with physical means, that leads to a lot of dysfunction, leads to a lot of addictions in life. And what we really need is Christ-centered worship in our life. So where does that kind of desire come from? Well, for the Magi, remember these guys spent their evening studying the stars. When they saw a new star rise, that that was for them a message that they could trust. So they would have noticed this new star. They would, have, they would have seen that it's different. So God was speaking their language in doing that. They understood it. They trusted it. So they went on this journey because of it. But what about us? Now, you probably don't spend your evenings looking through a telescope and studying the stars and, and looking to, to them for your answers in life. But we can look to Scripture. And, and as, as we read Scripture... It often just identifies and points out needs in our life and provides answers to those needs. You know, you you read something in Scripture and you say, yeah, that's me. That's what I've been thinking or that's what I've been going through. And, and, And then you realize that Scripture is the answer for that as well. That's why I love reading through the Psalms because the Psalms deal with every range of emotion known to humanity. Joy, anger, I mean, there, there is everything in there, even stuff that we are surprised that's in there. But as, as we read the Psalms, we see a lot of the authors have that sense of desire and longing. A few examples. One is Psalm 42. I love the opening verses of it. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Do you sense that desire there? My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, where, when can I go and meet him? I mean, that just communicates longing, doesn't it? This, this picture of thirsting for God. But then in Psalm 51, David writes this. He says, create in me a, pu- a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, just that longing for God to, to remain close to God, to be pure in God's eyes. Psalm 63 is another one I love, where it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My soul longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
Man, again, you read that scripture and you, and you realize that that author is focused on his longing for God. And I read it and it's like, yes, I've been there. I've done that. I've had that same longing. And Psalm 84 is, is the scripture that God used to draw me to him. Because there it says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out to the living God. Man, I read that, and when I, when I read that for the first time in my life, I realized that, yeah, that's describing where I was at. So God can use Scripture to capture our heart and identify that desire and longing that's in us. But we can also see that desire just as we look at other believers, other disciples of Jesus, and we look at their lives and we see that they're living their lives differently from those that you might be working with, from those that you might know outside of church, and you look at them and you wish, and you say to yourself, I wish I had that kind of peace. Or you see, see them observe difficulties and, and walk through difficulties in life, and you look at them and go, man, I wish I had that kind of sense of hope or confidence or joy as they navigate the hard things in life. And when you see that, that might just be identifying a spiritual hunger in your own life. And God is the one who can meet that desire through worship. That hunger is fulfilled and met through worship of him. So the Magi teach us, first of all, that worship starts with desire, with a sincere desire. Secondly, worship, um, they teach us to develop an expectant spirit. Now, as, as we read that story from Matthew chapter 2, we see that there's different attitudes present. Herod, for example, the king at that time, he was very resistant. Although in the text, he, he gives this veneer of being interested, this veneer of, of like, yeah, I want to worship this guy too. But, but we read in other accounts that that was all false. The religious leaders that, that provide the answers uh, to the Magi's question, these guys were also scholars, but they were indifferent to it. You know, they're thinking, yeah, we know where this king was to be born. They, they quote the prophets, and they say, yes, in Bethlehem, we know all that. We know where he's supposed to be, but do you notice that they didn't join the Magi on the journey to Bethlehem? They stayed put where they were. They didn't follow the wise men. They knew the answers. They knew all the answers, but they didn't do anything about it. But I love the Magi because they show up expected, expecting to find what they, they're looking for. And verse 2 says, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So they show up with this question, and you can sense the anticipation behind it. They're like, where is he? I know he's around somewhere. Where is he? Because we are here to worship him. I know he's here. And they, they approach with the right kind of question, looking for the king, expecting to encounter him, and expecting to worship. And there's a great lesson for us in that, is that we can expect to encounter Jesus when we worship. But I realize that our Sunday morning experiences are quite often different from that. For, for me, when I come to church on Sunday morning, I, I get here like before dawn, it's dark out, and I get in the building, and I'm, I already start thinking about all the things that have to take place for this service to happen. 
So I'm making sure that the lights are on. I'm making sure the temperature is set right. I'm, I'm walking around making sure all the stuff is in place and that all the, all the components are present, everything's in place so that you guys can come in and, and worship. Now, f- I know for many of you, your Sunday mornings are even more crazy because, you know, you, you show up, you're running a little late, you pull into the parking lot, it's full, you can't find a place, so you, so you, you drop your spouse and kids off at the door, and they have to go to check in at kids' check-in. But you don't have just one kid, you have like four or five or six kids in tow. And, and you're just trying to get them checked in so that you can come and sit down and just have an hour of peace, you know, to yourself. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't care how bad Dave preaches today, I get an hour without the kids. And you're like, yeah, that's the only expectation that you have. You know, I get it. Sundays are like that, you know. The first ministry that Dory and I had after Bible college was in this really small town in west central Indiana. It's a farming community, and there was a lady named Patty in that church. And Patty had like four or five boys who were just like super active um, in all the sports. And they also farmed a mega farm. So Patty was like on the go from dawn till dusk, seven days a week. And every Sunday when, when she would sit down, she would fall asleep. I mean, week after week, and this is my first ministry, and I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm trying to engage people and make it relevant with a lot of application. And as soon as I would start preaching, her eyes would kind of roll in the back of her head, and she would start doing the head bob thing. And I would, at first, I took it really personal. I'm like, man, this, you know, I'm, I'm failing here. But then one day she told me that Sunday mornings is the only time she would sit still for 30 minutes, and her body would just say, sleep. And she would like fight it every week, and, and you would I'd see the eyes glaze over. I'm like, oh, Patty's just falling asleep. That's just what she does, you know. But sometimes our weeks are like that, aren't they? We we come into church on Sunday morning with anything but an expectant spirit of worship. We're just glad we made it, and sometimes we don't even make it. But I want to let this scripture challenge you today, from Matthew, to raise your expectations. Of worship that when you when you come in to worship on Sundays come with a heart that says you know Jesus has something to say to me today that he cares about me he loves me and he's got something that can change my life today so as as we approach worship with that as with that expectant spirit we can realize that yeah he's gonna show up today so how do we worship well start with a sincere desire then develop an expectant spirit. And thirdly, choose to express joy. Verse 10 of Matthew 2 says, When they saw the star, when the Magi saw the star, they were overjoyed. That word overjoyed literally means rejoice with great joy. I mean, these is exceedingly great joy. I mean, it was joy all over the place. They're overflowing, just oozing and dripping with joy, not just a little smile. And when we connect our lives to Jesus in worship, we discover the joy that he can bring. I mean, when you discover that he loves us, that he died in our place on the cross, that he has a plan for us, that he has eternity waiting for us, man, there is joy in that. And we too can rejoice greatly, just like the Magi did. But it's also a a joy that needs to be expressed 
you know, and as we worship, we can, we can express our joy to God. And we do that through our, our personality. You don't have to change your personality to express joy, but you can do it in, in the way that God created you. And for some of you, I know that just a little twitch on the side of your mouth, that is like over-the-top joy. You crack a smile and see teeth, like, whoa, you know, you guys are really, you know, exuding joy from you. But do it the way God has created you. Do it in a way that you can, it's okay to express the joy that you have in Jesus. Well, they go on from there, and they show us that we need to, need to decide to humble ourselves. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I mean, these magi, they were used to being in the presence of kings. They were literally kingmakers back in their homeland. And here they are bowing before a baby. I mean, these guys, like I said, they were astrologers, they're priests, kingmakers, but they knew they were in the presence of someone greater. They bowed in the presence of another king, one greater than any before or any since. We read elsewhere in the Gospels about a prophet named John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist's ministry was winding down, uh, as Jesus' ministry was winding up, here's what John said about Jesus. He says, after me, referring to Jesus, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I mean, John the Baptist, he got it. He's like, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. That's how great he is and how less I am. And later in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul is writing, and he says this about the, the magnitude of Jesus. Therefore God exalted him, referring to Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, that's the greatness of God. And that's the greatness that these magi knew that they were standing in front of, even though it was, it was a baby. But humility... In our life, humility is simply trusting God even when we don't understand it all. It's saying, God, I, I trust you. God, my, my yes is on the table before you, for you, even though it's, it might not all be laid out in a clear plan, I'm still going to say yes to you. I mean, there's some things in your life that God might be nudging you towards, nudging you to say yes to him too. And it might not make sense at this point, but what do, you, what do you need to say yes, God, to? Maybe it's stepping away from an ungodly relationship. Maybe it's a, a change in lifestyle. Maybe, maybe it's a change in your priorities and your goals and where you spend your money. But saying yes to God can be a very humble action because it's recognizing our place in relation to him. We recognize who we are, and we're also recognizing the greatness of God. And it goes God and us, not like that, like this. So part of worship is just approaching God with humility, with a humble heart. And then 
we go on in the, in the story of the Magi, and we learn that we need to plan to give gifts as a part of our worship. This is probably the most famous part of this account where the Magi come in verse 11. It says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And as, as we read the story or a, as we tell it to our children, we often hone in on this part because these gifts do have significance and they point out who Jesus is and what he was there for. So they give him this gift of gold and gold was a gift fit for a king. It was costly, it was expensive, and, and it would have been, you know, it was recognizing that this baby is a king and worship of him is costly. But they also gave him a gift of frankincense and frankincense was used in temple worship as kind of an incense. So it was part of their sacrifice and their sacrificial system. So when, when, they, gave, when they gave this gift of frankincense, they were really acknowledging that here is a priest. Here lies a priest that really brings to fulfillment all the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament. And Jesus, as our priest, is a bridge builder. He stands between uh, us and God, and he allows that relationship to come together. He stands in between in order to bring us to God. But they also gave him a gift of myrrh, and myrrh wa was an, an embalming spice used to embalm bodies. And as they gave him that gift, they looked forward to his death on the cross. And that here, here's a king who fulfilled all the sacrificial systems, but also one who came to die in our place. It points to his death, but also points to him as our Savior. The one who gave his life once and for all so that we can find life in him and find life to the full. So worship is about giving. And I'm not meaning just the stuff under your tree this month. In worship, we receive from God. Yes, that's true. But we also give back to him as well. And we often think, you know, what do we give God? God who has everything, God who made everything, who needs nothing, what can I give back to him that makes any difference or has any significance? Well, I think you, we can find the answer in my all-time favorite Christmas TV special of, of all time, The Little, Little Drummer Boy. I mean, I, I love that one. It, was, it came out in 1968, has kind of the claymation animated thing. I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, you, ne you need to watch it this month. But it, in that story, there's a line in the song that, that runs throughout the, the whole animation movie. It says, I have no gift to bring that's fit for my king. And I, I believe we think that way sometimes. We think, well, what's the point? I mean, God's God. What, what, do we, what can I give him? Well, you can give him yourself. I mean, he made us for relationships. So step into that relationship. When we give him your love, when we give him our devotion, and that's the greatest gift of all, we can say, here I am, God, use me. Well, back to that little, little drummer boy, there's another line in that song where the, where the boy asks, shall I play my drum for you? I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. I mean, that's great biblical theology right there in a claymation animated TV show. Because it says we can give our best to Jesus. I mean, give, give him your all. Give him that which cost you, your life. 
But there's one more thing that we can give Jesus. And this is really a comforting piece because as our priest, we can give him our worst as well. We give him our life, we give him our best, but we can also give him our junk. You know, and, and we can say, Jesus, here's all my old sins, my old ways. We can give them to Jesus. And from time to time, when they come back around to haunt us or taunt us or tempt us, we can recognize that we have forgiveness in him. And we can embrace the freedom that he gives because of his sacrifice. So we give him our sin, our guilt. That means we give him our all. So Journey, the greatest act of worship that you can do this Christmas is to give your life to Jesus. So let me encourage you this year to celebrate Christmas by saying yes to Jesus. We pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for the gift of Christmas, the gift of Jesus, your son, who, who came to us to die for us. So, Father, this season, as we get wrapped up into a lot of activities and travels and different Christmas things, Lord, I pray that we can keep our eyes focused on you. So, Lord, we are here because of you, and may we never lose sight of you this season. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.